Lord, we do love you. We thank you for yet another day to worship you together as your family in your house, thinking about your things. And now, Holy Spirit of God, teach us, encourage us, convict us, convince us. Everything that we need, we know you have because you're God alone and there's none like you. So we want you more than anything. And by faith, we decided to come to this building today to sit and listen and grow and then respond in worship and obedience. And we need you, Lord. So come and fill us to the fullness of all that you want us to be. Amen. In light of uh, the day, this has been a weird week for so many of us. I, I didn't get a chance to go, but maybe you live streamed it. The funeral for a Billy Graham, one of the most influential humans, but let alone preachers in all of history, 99 years old, uh, he, and he went to be with the Lord uh, this last week, and, and he's spoken to more people than any human, the good news, like in all of history. As a matter of fact, in terms of communication, he's probably spoken to more people than any leader anywhere at any time. And he was alive in our lifetime. Sometimes we forget how amazing that is. And uh, we lost a legend. I, and I'm sure I've been to the, to the Billy Graham Library, and I'm not sure if that's where he's going to be laid to rest. I know that's where his wife is. But I do know on, on gravestones, they'll, they'll, I don't know what they'll put, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to put the beginning and the end, November 7th, 1918, through February the 21st, 2018. And then, and then in between those two sets of numbers, there's a little dash, from two, from 1918 to 2018. And moments like this remind us that life is a gift, isn't it? It's a gift, and it's a gift that has a beginning, and it's a gift that has an end, and time is marked by the dash in between. And, and I know this is kind of a, a, a weird one to talk about on the first Sunday filled with baptism and joy and Lecrae coming and, you know, all that stuff, but um, we have to be honest. What, what if you knew you only had 10 years left? What, what if you knew you only had 10? How would you live? Would you live in the same pattern you're living in right now? Or would you do something different? What if you only had 10 months? What, 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 would, would anything change? And if something's going to change, why? Why would, you, why would you not be going that way anyway? What if you only had 10 days to live? What would you do? The reason we bring it up is not just because we want to remember what's happening in our world and the loss of such a great leader is it's actually where the text, we're in Romans, and we're in this, we've been breaking it up in pieces, and we're in a, a series called Real Love from Romans uh, 12, and now we're in Romans 13, and from here to the end of the letter, we're going to look at in light of the day, the day. What, what is the day? Well, why don't we just turn to Romans 13, and we're going to pick it up where we left off last week, and this this section now takes us to the end of the letter, and it's interesting how Paul, who spent all this time talking about this good news, this good news of God's love, this good news of forgiveness, good news of grace, this good news of mercy, this good news for Israel, this good news for the non-Jew, this good news for everybody. It's interesting where he's going to take us and where the letter is going to end. Romans 13, uh, verse 8. I'll read verses 8 to 10 just to start. Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, which just sounds crazy. Like everything God said, that's what he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Paul is summarizing everything we've been talking about the last couple of months. What does real love look like? And he, he takes, if you read the references, he's quoting. He's quoting from Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He's quoting from what we call the Torah, the beginning of God's word to people. Some of us call it the Old Testament, the beginning of the story. And it's interesting. He says that love is the fulfillment of everything. With all of the laws, 613 that are written just in the first five books of the Bible, 613 things that could keep us in alignment with God and with each other. He says all of it can be boiled down to one. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, relationship with God has never, hear me, never been about rule following only. It's always been about love. God makes men and women and he puts them in a perfect, beautiful place. And he says, I've got so many good things for you to do. You're going to take what I started and you're going to do something beautiful. Why? You have my imprint in your DNA. Come on, let's do this. And I want to see what you guys make of what I started. And then they mess it up royally. And we do too. And yet from the beginning, God is coming after Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. He's coming after everyone. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Come back. Come back. I love you. It's never been about, if you think following Jesus, if you think Christianity is about rule following, oh man, yeah, there's some things that are helpful and healthy and good and right and God's holy and beautiful and perfect. And he doesn't say, hey, enjoy your life, do whatever you want, see you at the finish line. That's not what God says. He knows what's best, but what he does say is love will change everything. And so the hope for you today is that you just fall more deeply in love because love is a fulfillment. It's the culmination. It's the pulling together of everything in the law. By the way, all Paul does here, he didn't make this up, he quotes Jesus. Jesus is the one when he's asked, teacher, rabbi, which is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? And another one is like it, Jesus adds. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is recapping the story that Jesus highlighted, that love is everything. And that's why demonstrating real love to people matters. How you live matters. How you treat people matters. How we care for one another, it matters. This whole Jesus following thing, it really matters. Why? Because it's the heart of what God's doing. He doesn't want to make religiously right people. He wants to transform people by his love that overwhelms us and then causes us to live in a different way. Now, I just summarized the last couple of months here as a church. I don't want to focus on this because this is where the last section ended. Love is the fulfillment. And I hope that you've been stirred. I hope that you've been challenged. I hope that you've been a little annoyed about a lack of love in your life. I hope that you've been motivated to pray with more intensity or act on what you know to be true or share your resources. If we don't do anything as a result of all this, we've been wasting our time. If we don't live any different, what's the point? But we can and we should. All right, that's, that was the intro to what I want to focus on, which is really 
the turning point. It starts in verse 11. So let's just keep reading. I'm going to focus on these final couple of verses. Romans 13, 11. And do this. Live the life of love is what he means. Do this understanding the present time. Now he goes on and talks about time. The hour, whatever that is, has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day, the day. The day is almost here. I want us to think about that phrase this morning. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. By the way, that's not an exclusive list. He's just summarizing what darkness looks like. Rather, so the contrast, day and night, darkness and light. Rather, interesting phrase, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. What is the, the, the day? Why do we live differently? What's going to be the motivation if we're called to live the life of love? What's going to be the real motivator rather than a guilt trip or I know the Bible tells me to do it? I, I'm just going to start today and we're going to keep moving on. Two reasons, two fundamental factors that should if we truly are following Jesus, motivate me to want to live a life that's worthy to him. First one, write it down, please. We know the time. Why should we live the life of love? Why should we follow Jesus? Because we know the time. Look at verse 11 again. Do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up. In other words, in light of the good news, everything that he's been saying in Romans... If all of this is true and Jesus really does accept rebels by faith, then he really does give us the Holy Spirit and he really does forgive the past and he really does empower the future. If all of this is really true, I should know what time it is and if I know what time it is, it's not time to sleep. And he goes on this running metaphor, day, night, sleeping, awake. And the metaphor is super obvious. We're not very productive in the dark. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. It's very interesting. People, what they won't do in an office with the floodlights, which are very unnatural, and I can't stand like, you know, like fluorescent bulbs. I think they're sent from the devil to tempt us. But if you live in a cube, if you, not really, but it just, if, you know, what someone wouldn't do in an office in daytime with everyone watching in security cameras, you strip the cameras away and put some mood music, give them a few drinks, and lower the lighting, and that person could get transformed to doing the craziest thing because it's easier to not think about what you're doing and getting caught in the dark. Sleep, dark, light, day. We know that the time is right to be awake is what he's saying. Time. Uh, so many of us are in school right now right? Well, so many of us, so many of you, some of you, I'm not. Um, but, but if you're in school, this is an analogy. 
And he's giving us a metaphor. But you know, in school, you have a term, at least in college level and up, you get everything up front. It's called a syllabus, right? You get it up front. You know what you're going to read. You know when the projects are due, and you're given a time frame. This is a start and an end, a beginning and an end, right? And, and so there is a time to be awake. At the beginning of the, of the term, you know when everything is due. So you could put things off, right? You could say tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll, tomorrow, tomorrow. But you know that a day is coming, a coming, right? The day of reckoning, especially if you're paying for your own school. The day when like everything is going to be due. And here's the thing, midterm, you know that the day is drawing nearer than when you first began. That's just, that's the metaphor, that there's a beginning of a class and the end of a class, and there's all these things in between, and so he says, stay awake, just like we need to be motivated. If you've been in school for a long time, you know by the middle of a term, you start to get weary. You start to thinking, think of ways of getting rid of this class, you know, or finding a way, an alternative, you know. But he says, we're in the middle of the time. There's a day coming we're in the middle. How do we live? We live awake. So you can't push out your assignment forever. You can't push out what's coming forever because we know that there's a day approaching. Hopefully, you're making the most of your time. So in a similar way, this is just an analogy. In a similar way, in a more important way, your day is coming. My day is coming. And when we think of time, I need us to remember when the Bible talks about Time, it's not on the same page with everyone's view of time. I don't know how you see time, but the Bible, I'm going to oversimplify, but just trust me on this one. I'm right. On this one. Some other things, I'm not so sure, but this one, I'm right. When you look at time in the Bible, the Bible divides time into two big sections. There's this present day or this age it's talking about the here and now. It's talking about everything from Genesis 1 and moving forward. There's creation and time begins for us. Time already existed for God. Time begins for us. And there's all this activity of God and there's a future day coming. And that is the age or the time to come. Time began before you and I were here because God's the author of all things, right? So he starts this present age, and we're in it, and it's broken, and it's messed up, and it's filled with pain and sorrow and suffering and beauty and joy and amazement. This world is a beautiful place. It's not hell on earth. It's beautiful. Yet it's broken as well, and it's not perfect. But when you look at the Bible, it talks about two ages of time, this present age. But we know that when Jesus returns, because Jesus talked about it, he will bring in God's peace and things will happen like they were at the beginning. In the age to come, there'll be no more tears. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more death. That is the age to come. Now, so many in today's world, we, when we read the Bible, you may be coming from more of an Eastern view, which is out of alignment with the Bible that says time is just circular. And then what comes around goes around. And what happens in this life kind of revolves around and, and then your next, whether it's reincarnation or some other state, that it's just all, it's just this loop. That's not how the Bible views time. There is a beginning and there is an end. There is this age and then there is the age to come. Why am I sharing that now? Because we need to be awake. 
we may be asleep not realizing what time it is right now. Another place where, where Paul really gets into this is a letter to a church in a city called Thessalonica. I'm going to put it up on the screen in the New Living Translation because it's so vivid. And I want to read a lot, but it gives you everything I've just been saying. It kind of highlights from, from 1 Thessalonians 5. Just write it down and read it at home. Now concerning how and when all of this will happen, the age to come he's talking about. Dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. He'd already told them this stuff in person. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return, the age to come, the day of the Lord is the beginning when Jesus is going to make full peace, new heavens, new earth, and everything will be as it was created to be. That is the beginning of this new age to come. The day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying, everything's peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's, woman's labor pains begin. I have no firsthand experience, but I've been in the room. It's very, very unpleasant. And there will be no escape. But you are not in the dark. Look at what he says to the church. This is what he says to you. You're not in the dark about these things, brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Some of you are like, well, I'm going to be shocked myself. When, when is it going to happen? For you are all children of the light. You are all children of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. Do you notice the metaphor from Romans 13 shows up here as well? We are, you, if you're in Jesus. Now, if you're not yet following Jesus, I got some unpleasant news. You're not of the light and you're not of the day. Now, it's not that God doesn't love you and doesn't want you, but until you receive his grace and his mercy, you're stuck in the same cycle of brokenness that everyone else is in. And apart from Jesus' mercy and his forgiveness, you stay stuck in darkness. It's said in other places, there's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. He tells another church, I think it's the church of Colossae or Ephesus, that once you were children of darkness, now you're children of the light. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm harping on these metaphors because it's going to set up the tone for the rest of the reading of Romans 13. So, be on your guard, verse 6, not asleep like the others. He's not talking about literal sleep. He's like, the way that people are living is as if it's dark and you fall asleep and you don't worry. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're getting ready for the day. Be on your guard, not asleep. Stay alert and clear-headed. Again, I have to hype on this. He's not talking literal like, don't take a nap. Like, stay up because if Jesus returns and you're asleep, it's over. And you're going to wake up and like, I missed it. Bummer. I mean, we joke around, but some of us think like, well, that, is that what he's saying? No. Be clear-headed. Night is the time, look at the metaphor explained. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Light and darkness, awake and asleep. And you see it now in two places. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, are a son or a daughter of the light. The day of the Lord, when Jesus returns, right, 
is the day when the full thing that God's been doing in you is going to be made complete and all the benefits and blessings of walking with Jesus now is going to be fully realized. Now the, the class had a beginning and the class has an end. And at the end of the class, theoretically, all that you needed to learn, you've learned, theoretically, and you've grown and you can say, wow, I've achieved. It's the final day. And then you move on. In our case, we get to live with God forever and be a part of what he's doing in the universe, which sounds like science fiction and weird, but it's not. It's what the universe was made for. God made it all, and it's good. And he makes you and I in his image, and he says someday he's going to put the wrong to right, and we're going to live and rule and reign with him. So, okay, if that future is true, why, why do we stay awake? Go back to Romans 13, and I'll read verse 11. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. In light of what's to come, in light of the dash, you see something like, well, the day of the Lord, I don't, People are saying Jesus is going to return for 2,000 years now, and he hasn't come, so it's not going to happen. Hold on. There's the day of the Lord when, when God finishes what he started. Sure, we're looking forward to that day, and he told us it's going to happen, and he told us exactly how it's going to happen and what's going to happen. But there's your day. You see, you may not be here for the day of Jesus' return. I may not be here for the day of Jesus' return, but there's the end of my day. And there's the end of your day. And I know it's not a chipper topic to talk about on a Sunday morning, but unfortunately, if we don't talk about what's true, we get lulled to sleep. We don't realize that this matters. So what's driving your decisions today? I said at the beginning, what if you had 10 more years? What would your focus be? What if you had 10 more months? What if you had 10 more days? What if you had 10 more minutes what would drive your decision-making if you knew your time was limited? What he says to the church is, you need to know your time's limited. Your time is running out. And that's not a reason to be discouraged or depressed or anxious. That's a reason to celebrate because the motivating factor for you and I, the reason that we ought to stay awake is this thing called salvation. What's motivating you? You may be motivated by money. So many of us are just motivated by money. Why do you work a little extra? Why do you study a little harder? Why do you, why do you stay in the office a little later? Because of what you get, right? What you can get. You can get a higher payment. You can get a higher job. You can get overtime. You can get some accolades. So many of us were motivated by pleasing people. Everything we're doing is just for these other people, because if I could just get their sign of approval, I don't, I don't need a paycheck, I got enough money, but if, if you can just say, well done, I'll do whatever you want. If you just look at me and approve of me as something and someone, I'll, I'll, I'll be somebody. If you'll, we give all of our effort for things that fade. Money comes and goes, and people's opinions aren't that important, even though they feel important. To me, what should be the motivating drive for us? It's this word called salvation. And he's been talking about it in Romans the entire time. Salvation is the motivation. 
You see, three things we need to know about what has already happened. Remember, Romans 13 is getting towards the end. If you read all that goes before it, he's been talking about this good news, this good news that's been shared to Jew and non-Jew, that God's, God's rescue is available to anyone and everyone who will believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Three dimensions of it that are reason for us to stay awake. One, you have been saved. It happened. Now, when did it happen for you? I don't know. Has it happened for you? I actually don't know. But if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, look at Romans 10, 9 and 10. I'll just read it. If you declare at your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be rescued. If, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. There is a moment when you realize I cannot get to God in my own effort, but God in his goodness has come to me. And I accept that I can't earn my way to it, but I can receive it and I can't pay for it, but Jesus did. And if you receive this good news, you have been, past tense, saved. The reason to stay awake is look at what God did for you. I didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it, but God did it anyway. For God demonstrates his own love for us, Romans 5, 8, in this way. While I was still sinning, I'm, I'm making, it doesn't say I, but I'm putting me at the center. When I was still sinning, Jesus Christ died for me. That's love. We have been saved. Now, the second dimension is another reason you should stay awake. You and I, we are being saved. See, one of the beautiful things that we sometimes forget is that not only does Jesus save us from our past, but he saves us towards our future. He's working on me now. He's changing me. Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your thinking. Jesus wants to continue to work on us. That's called salvation. You are being saved. Has God changed the way you think about anything? Has God changed the way you act towards anyone? Has God changed the motivation of your heart towards something that's more like him? That is salvation. That's what it means to be saved. And here's the good news. I have been and I am being saved and those aren't contradictions. Those are just two real things. Oh, by the way, that's why I need to be awake. Because God has saved me. Man, my life shouldn't be lived for myself but for the one who loved me this way. And because I don't want to miss out on anything he's doing in my world, I, I want to be awake so that I don't miss the transformation because in the end, on the day of the Lord, the Bible says we will be like him, Jesus. Why? We'll see him as he is. He is God's son and he calls me his brother. Jesus says, I, I am his brother. You are his sister. We will be transformed. We will not be God but we will remove from sin and we'll be like him. We will live forever. By the way, God lives forever. We will, and some of you are like, is that like really true? Like, yeah, that's, that's true. And that I have been saved. Uh, that's reason to be awake. Uh, I am being saved. That's reason to be awake. But another one, and one that we don't talk about, but we have to, we will be saved. Another reason I need to stay awake is I will be saved. Looking ahead towards God's future on the day of the Lord. If you want to, this is not a bedtime story. No joke. Don't read it before bed. But today, read Revelation 20. 
Read Revelation 20, the second half. It's beautiful and will scare you to death at the same time. Because it talks about a day of judgment. It talks about, in Revelation 20, about the second death. You see, when you and I die, that's the first death. But coming in the future will be the judgment of all things. And on the day of the Lord, there'll be an accounting. And those who are in Jesus Christ go on to be with the Lord forever. Those apart experience what they call the second death. It's absolutely frightening. Life apart from Jesus forever. I don't even know. The words in Revelation 20 are lake of fire. That's not pretty. There's nothing, there's nothing like, well, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want, man. Me and my buddy's going to, we don't need God, you know. And if there's hell, it'll be awesome. And here's the crazy thing. There are many who believe that. I'm going to throw, throw my life to chance. And in the end, if the whole gospel was right and I was wrong, so what? Oh, man. So we get these warnings. But you and I, hear me, we will not be there. We go to life. So in, if I have a dash, I got my start date, August 7th, 1972. And if, and if I have a memorial stone and there's an end date, I'm with Jesus. Yes, I died, but I am alive with the Lord. And then on his return, we'll be united with him in a way that is unlike today. And my friends, sometimes we just don't think about it. A reason to be awake, a reason to stay alert is because God has saved me and God is saving me and God promised to save me. And so I, I ought to be motivated. I don't, want, I don't want to live like everybody else because I've experienced something that's altogether different. Paul reminds us, Life and time is coming to a close. Now, this, this sounds almost like an Armageddon movie, and it's not. It's just the truth. This world will come to an end, and time as we know it will come to an end. And if you don't even see it on the grand scale, you will see it on a gravestone. I get choked up. Because the dash in the middle is where you get to make the most of the time God gives you. So the reason you and I stay awake is not out of guilt. The reason that we're motivated to follow Jesus is not out of an obligation in the ordinary sense. It's that we have received all that God has done, right? All that he has done in Jesus, we're now receiving, and we know we're going to get the full package at the end of time. So God has given me between my salvation, it already happened, to the time where it's fulfilled, where I will be saved. He's given me time. Time to grow. Time to live on his mission. Time to love people. Time to do his work. And I don't want to waste it. So the word is stay awake. Okay, I spent almost all of my time on the first of two thoughts. The second one is really simple and we'll move to response. The second motivation, I, I think, is not only do we know what the time is, write it down, we know what is right. The reason that we stay awake, and we'll get into this over the next few months as we think about these passages, we know what is right. We know it's appropriate. We know, we know better, okay? And so there are some, even though the Bible says in Romans 1 and 2, Mankind is without excuse. God's revealed himself in nature and all creation and in Jesus 
people do know what's right and they do know what's wrong and they turn from God to idols, to their own thing, to their own story. So everyone is without excuse. But you and I, if we know Jesus, we really have no excuse to live in the dark, to live in the night. We have no excuse. Here's why. We know what's right. But the key is, it's possible to know what's right and to have a struggle doing what's right. You ever feel like you're in that balance? Like, I know, I know, I know God said, but, oh, it's so tasty. Like, you know, we just, we, we, can't, we can't help it or so we say. I, I saw a little program today and had a little segue about the dumb phone. I don't know if you have one or you heard of it. You know, with all the latest craze about the smartphone and, you know, the newest version, newest version, there is, I am not kidding, they've already come out with version two of the dumb phone. And the dumb phone is 250 bucks, so it ain't cheap, right? But the dumb phone is a nice newly designed, you can only get it in black and white, and it only, it's an actual phone, okay, for phone calling. I know, phone calling and, and texting, and because of version one and people saying, they, they have added the map feature so that you can like call an Uber or something and they could find you on the dumb phone. So it has no apps, it has no music, it has no YouTube. And you know what? People are pre-ordering it because they realize there was a device called a smartphone that was going to make my life easier. And the smartphone was going to give me more time. And the smartphone was going to be able to be more efficient. And now here I am scrolling in the dark at useless trivia and I can't turn it off. And so people, now I'm not suggesting that you should get a dumb phone, but if you're looking for the link afterwards, find me and I will, I will, I will get you on the pre-order list. We know that addictions to technology are not helpful, yet we can't get off of our phone. Now, that's, I'm just giving you one example, the most relevant. In the same way, we know how to live and honor Jesus, yet we, we struggle with it. So what do we see? Verse 12 and 13. Put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Put it on. Behave, verse 13. Behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, jealousy, clothe yourselves. And here's the trick, and this is what I'm going to invite us to do over this next season of our life as a church. We are already in Jesus. Jesus is in us. So Paul does not say to the Christian, receive Jesus. He does not say, receive him. Why? They already have received him. They've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The life of God is in them. But it is interesting what he does say. In between this time and the age to come, what can we do? We can clothe ourselves properly. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about different clothing or how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So you and I do have an opportunity and you, you and I do have a responsibility, but it's not to a guilt trip and it's not to like, man, if I don't do this, Jesus isn't going to love me. And that's not the point. The point is it makes sense to wear the right thing to the right occasion. Wouldn't you agree? You don't wear a tux to the gym, right? And hopefully you don't show up to someone's wedding in your shorts and your tank tops. 
I hope that you dress appropriately for the right occasion. And so you look like you're appropriately addressed to be here. And that, that makes sense. It would make no sense for you to come in here in your PJs, although this is Oregon. I see it in supermarkets all the time. <laughs> you're wearing your PJs, man. If you do that, I'm not judging you. <laughs> Just mentioning that it, I, find it, I find it odd. You wear what's fitting. You wear, you wear the right thing. Okay, in light of the day, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on his, he's already in you. Let what's on the outside match what's on the inside. Jesus is in you, so don't think about, don't dwell on, don't be infatuated with the things that are going to pull you away into the darkness. Because the darkness is death. And if you're alive in Christ, you and death just don't fit in that sense of the word. All right, let's round it out. Billy Graham's with Jesus, and he got 99 years. And, and wow. And the world literally is a better place. Reading some stuff, I think two and a half billion people he had a chance to talk to. Two and a half billion people. Wow. More than... I can't even fathom. Okay, I think we could all agree from 1918 to 2018, that dash, he, he did something good. But you know what? The Bible wasn't written for Billy Graham. It was written for all of us. And so the question is, what are you going to do in this dash, this small period of time called your life? And if you think you get 30 more, 40 more, whatever more years, my friend, you're already asleep. So today, I live as if this is my last opportunity to follow Jesus Christ. Not irresponsibly. So I don't spend all my cash today because Jesus may come tomorrow. That's, that's not what we're talking about. But when it comes to how I live my life, the decisions I make, the way I treat people, the morals I keep, I want to live I'm not perfect. I want to live and clothe myself with the Lord Jesus. Why? Because one day we're going to walk the streets together. And so to be dressed inappropriately, unlike Jesus, just doesn't make sense. Just doesn't make sense. All right. Lighthearted message. But important in light of the world we live in. Two prayers. I was thinking, how do you end this, you know? How do you, without sending people in utter <laughs> despair? Okay, I think two prayers that we can pray and, and write it down if it helps. Pray them this week. Pray them today. Lord, wake me up. Lord, because some of us, the challenge is not how we're living. That is a bit of a challenge. The challenge is we don't even realize how dark our darkness is. We're so asleep, we don't even see the implications on our life, our future, or the people around us. We don't see the shrapnel. We don't see the chaos. We don't see the repercussions. So how do we pray? Lord, wake, wake us up. Wake me up. Secondly, and I think it's in, in, in combo, Lord, clean me up. Clean me. Because it's not a matter of if, if, if I, I have to put away the deeds of darkness. <laughs> you know, you don't have to put away the deeds of darkness. Or you, have to put, you don't have to put them away. I don't have to put them away. 
No, no, no. We all, we all stumble along and we all have moments, weeks, seasons of repetitive darkness. So what we can do is we can pray to the Lord Jesus and say, clean me, cleanse me. And that's what he's here to do. He's given us the spirit to convict us and convince us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come and to empower us to live the Jesus life. So don't leave here condemned unless, and this is the pause, if you are not in Jesus, you're already condemned. Not by me and not by the church. You have refused the Son of God and so help me. If you leave this earth refusing the Son of God, you will get what you wanted Life without life. Life without Jesus is for those who didn't want him. So could God judge anyone to hell? God doesn't judge anybody to hell. You read Revelation carefully, he throws utter darkness into the lake of fire. People go to hell because they want to. Because they want to. Because they refuse grace. They refuse Jesus. And at the end, he gives them what they ask for. And that is no fun pill. So today, if you hear God's voice, respond. Jesus, awaken me. Forgive me and give me life. We, we can do business with God this morning if we'll allow the Spirit to work on our soul. So I'm going to invite you to stand and, and receive God's grace. If you need mercy, Jesus is here. If you need forgiveness, Jesus is here. If you need a second start, a 31st start, 185th start, Jesus is here. If you were here last week and said, shoot, I realized I was messed up last week and I asked for God's grace and now I realize I'm still messed up. Congratulations, join the club. We need grace, 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 but it's in Jesus. And so my friend, here's an opportunity to call on Jesus and invite him to do what you can't do, and that's to make you new, all right? In a few moments, we're going to go to the tables, not yet. In a few moments, we're going to open up the baptism, and if you say, Jose, I've heard, I've heard God's word. I want to follow Jesus. I've never confessed that publicly, and, or I've never been baptized. Today is the day of salvation, my friends. Just when everyone gets up and walks to the table, just go over towards the tank, and we'll pray with you, and we'll allow you to respond in a way that makes sense. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us the way we are, but you've given us the Holy Spirit to transform us and to give us even the power to clothe ourselves with the goodness and love and peace and joy of the Lord Jesus. And now we want to live for you. But we stand here feeling condemned. Holy Spirit, push away that lie. We are not condemned because we belong to Jesus Christ. But yet, if we're convicted in our heart, we give those things to you. We ask you, forgive us again so that we can live in the new way. Holy Spirit, help.